I love Pentecost. It's one of my favorite church holidays because I grew up Pentecostal. So Pentecost, we, we pulled out all, we put all the stops out, right? I mean, Easter was a great thing, and, and, and Christmas is a great thing, but like Pentecost, everyone like brought their best hat and their best dress, and they, everyone, like the, the best music, everything that had to do with the Holy Spirit, every other words, we did a lot of 7-Eleven songs in the Pentecostal church, seven words, 11 times, over and over and over again. That was, that was how we did stuff, and maybe you know some of those songs, uh, very meditative in, in some ways, if you think about the, the way that those songs were sung. I loved Pentecost. Um, and so Pentecost is always special to me, particularly because every time I come to the text, somehow I always see something different than I hadn't seen before. Um, and I think it's because I like the—for uh, me, uh, when we look at the three people or the three persons of the Trinity, for some reason I've just always deeply identified with the Holy Spirit more. Um, that's been my connection, and probably because of the tradition I grew up in. And a lot of people, right, the Holy Spirit's like the crazy uncle that you only invent, uh, invite to two holidays a year. Uh, maybe you don't talk about the Holy Spirit very much. It's maybe Father, Son, Holy Bible, not so much Father, Son, Holy Spirit— depending on the tradition you grew up in. And that's one of the things I love about Imago is that we each can highlight some of the different aspects of the different traditions and emphasis that we have as we come into this space. Um, Pre-pandemic, I I was befriended by a new couple in town uh, who are artists. And uh, this particular artist is actually pretty well-known in artist circles, and he actually has some of his artwork displayed at uh, at the White House uh, during the Clinton administration. It was chosen, and it's still there today. During the pandemic, though, um, he was continuing to, to crank out work, and he had his work displayed at, an, uh, at a, uh, a gallery in Peoria Heights. And so he was having groups of 10 people, 10 groups, 10, 10 groups of tens of his friends when that was allowed, to come to the gallery and to see his artwork. So Austin and I got the invitation, and uh, my first initial reaction to Austin was, I hope he doesn't expect us to buy his art, because, I mean, it's going to be expensive. And I buy my art at Home Goods and Goodwill. So I, I, I didn't know what to do with this invitation. I thought, well, if we go, you know, we take a spot and we don't buy the art, you know, how is that going to look? I'm pretty cheap. He's like, oh, we can buy some art. I'm like, no, we can't. No, we cannot buy some art. Uh, that's, not, that, that's, that's not how I spend my money in my particular house, and he would like to do that. He spends a lot of money on art. How many of you have problems like that in your houses, right? Two different things to spend money on. So we decided we were going to go, take the chance, and if we were bad friends and didn't buy anything, maybe, maybe there were like a bracelet there for sale or something we could buy, <laughs> something to support him. So we go to their home on Moss Avenue. It's this glorious, beautiful home. They give us this, 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 this tour. We have some finger foods. Then we go over to the exhibit hall, and everyone's kind of looking at the different art pieces, and Bob is making his way around the room, and he would go, and he would stand next to somebody, and he'd say, what do you see when you see this painting? And somebody would say what they see when they see the painting. And then sometimes he would explain how the painting was done and where his inspiration come, came from and what it, certain things meant in the paintings. You probably see if you walk around Imago, we have several different paintings hung up that have been painted by people here at Imago, some of those work done while in worship. And there's little explanations next to it, right? Because sometimes you look at art and you're like, what in the world? And sometimes the thing you take away is different than the thing the artist took, uh, intended, but sometimes that's exactly what the artist intended. And so... As we kind of walk through this area, there was one particular painting I was just stuck on. I just kept staring at. And I found it was just really neat. And it's full of color. And if it was cheaper, I would have bought it. And Bob comes over and he stands next to me and goes, what do you think about this painting? And so I begin to tell him what I thought about the painting. And then he began to tell me how this was the one particular painting in the whole place that he wrestled with the most. 
He said almost every painting in here, he had a picture in his head and he just put it to canvas. But this painting, he said he kept changing and he kept, he kept adding and he kept taking away and he kept adjusting it because he just struggled with, he, he wasn't sure how, what this was supposed to be evolving to be and wasn't even sure if it would be anything in the end. And of course, that's the one that I was drawn to. <laughs> then as the evening continued to progress, there was one particular individual amongst the ten that decided he was going to buy a painting. I looked at Austin, and he looked at me, and I thought, well, I wonder if others are scoping out which ones they're going to buy. And I thought, I would look at the one that's going to like be a ton of money. Like, I, don't, I need to find a different one in the house that maybe is cheaper that I could be drawn to. <laughs> and then I heard a conversation happening regarding um, if we were expected to buy paintings that night while we were there. And I remember him just chuckling and saying, no, no, no. That's a different clientele <laughs> that I invite to these exhibits. I've invited you because you're my friends. And I want you to delight in the painting and the work that I've done. And I want to hear as my friends what you see. And I want to share with you about my work and what it means to me. I don't expect any of you to buy anything. You were invited here just to delight in my work and for me to delight in you delighting in my work. He said, well, of course, I mean, if you want to buy something, <laughs> you're welcome to, as one of the guests did. But he said, please don't worry about it. In this morning's passage, I, I, I can't stop and think about how in, in this moment where, where the Holy Spirit rushes in and fills these people, it beckons in my mind to the reminder of when the Holy Spirit rushed in and filled Jesus. It's kind of interesting. The moment that we see Jesus baptized after uh, John the Baptist baptizes him in the water, we see that the skies open up, right? The scriptures tell us. And there's this voice from heaven that says, You are my son. I am so pleased with you. And then all of a sudden we see a dove, a sign of the Spirit, hovering over Jesus. What's interesting to me about this is that, that when Jesus experiences the Holy Spirit in this over all-encompassing, empowering, comforting way, it's when he's 30 years old. And he hasn't done anything spectacular yet. Up to this point, all that Jesus has done was be born, require thousands of diaper changings, learn to walk and talk, perhaps maybe even read and write. He definitely was required to memorize the first five books of the Torah as all Jewish boys would have been expected to do. He had become a big brother at some point. He would have shadowed his father in carpentry. And when his dad passed away, he would have picked up carpentry as his own trade to be able to support the family as the oldest son, as his mother would have now been a single mom. And then at 30 years old, this is all that Jesus has done. And in this moment, when he's baptized, he hasn't done anything extraordinary. Basically, all of our ordinary lives. And in that moment, that is when God says, I am pleased with you, Jesus. You're my son. It's not after he has healed countless people or fed thousands or dined with outcasts or to the point that they called him a friend. It's not after he calms seas or raises people from the dead. Not after all of that does God say, I'm pleased with you. God just says, I'm pleased with you. Before he does all of that, at 30, when he's just living an ordinary life, when he's just being himself. You would think that if God was going to say, I'm so pleased with you, Jesus, You're, you are extraordinary, it would have been after he did all that, maybe perhaps his last breath on the cross, the skies would have opened. But not before any, but it's before all of that that God pronounces that he is so pleased with Jesus. Juxtapositioned against the story we heard read today, you, you have this room full of ordinary people again, just people who are trying to follow Jesus, some with fear and trembling, some with uncertainty, some with doubt, some with questions, some who've been abandoned by their families for the ways in which they've chosen to live. 
and to follow Jesus, all of these ordinary people, just carpenters and people who work with iron and folks who take care of crying babies and folks who build houses and folks who work the field, just ordinary people gathered together in a room on this first Pentecost Sunday and the Holy Spirit shows up again the same way that it did at Jesus' baptism amongst ordinary people who haven't done anything extraordinary and consumes their lives. It's interesting to me that, I, that, 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 that nothing is required of these people to experience the grace and love and power of God in this moment. They haven't done anything extraordinary. They've just been ordinary people. And it's the ordinary people that God comes to as God came to Jesus in his ordinary state, in his humanity in all of its ways, and says, I am so pleased with you. I am so pleased with you. I've never had a great relationship with my dad. My mom and I have a good relationship after years of really working on it, and I'm so happy with where our relationship's at. It's taken a lot of hard conversations, a lot of forgiveness, a lot of work. And with my dad, I often feel like I wish that our relationship was better, but it's not, and it may never be. And I've come to accept that it may not be, but there are some words that I would like to hear from him, even though we don't have a great relationship, which is mind-boggling to me, which are that, I'm pleased with you. It's been a few moments when my dad has said that to me, and even though we have a strained relationship, those words still mean something. And in this moment, I believe that as God says that upon Jesus, perhaps the, the power of the Spirit filling the room on Pentecost as well was God saying to these ordinary people, I am so pleased with you. And may I consume you, and may you be consumed with the love and comfort and power that comes from my spirit to know that you are not alone. And that I am a person of my word, that when I told these 12 disciples that I would leave, that not leave you as orphans, but I would send my spirit to you as a great comforter, that I am a God who keeps my word. When Bob invited us to see his art exhibit, I tell you what, um, I, I was pretty nervous about the purchasing thing. But once I was told that I didn't have to purchase anything, that our friendship wasn't contingent upon me buying something in the gallery that day, I was able to take a deep breath and enjoy his artwork in a whole new way. And I was able to appreciate his work and our friendship more because I didn't feel the pressure that I had to do something or perform to sustain and maintain it. I can't help but stop and think about how it's very possible that God's empowerment of Jesus at Jesus' baptism and God's empowerment of these ordinary people who've chosen to follow Jesus before they had done anything extraordinary is not a moment just like what Bob and I had. A moment for God to say, I don't love you because you do extraordinary things. I don't love you because you're exceptional. I just love you because you are fashioned in my image. You are my child. You are beloved. And I am pleased with you for that reason alone. Is that not the, re- is that not the, the deepest cry of most of us? To just be unconditionally loved and pleased by those whom love us the most. I think of this story of Pentecost as a story of a reminder that God is at work in the ordinary every day. Even though sometimes we only see, think we see God in the extraordinary. Or that perhaps God only shows up for us when we're extraordinary. I can't tell you how many conversations I've had with people um, 
thinking about particularly mothers, right, who spend a significant amount of their time, and per, during this pandemic, perhaps in some ways this has even been changed up, of mothers and fathers, or fathers and mothers, who spend a significant amount of their time and their energy and their resources caring for children. And they don't have any extra time for anything else hardly, whether, let alone themselves or their own relationships. And, and they wonder, man, I wish I could do what so-and-so's doing because maybe then I would feel really close to God. I wish I could do what so-and-so is doing because then maybe I would feel like I'm exceptional. I wish I could do what so-and-so is doing because that would be really great. Like, like God would really look upon that well and, and I would feel better about myself and I would feel more grounded and spiritual if I could do those things. Perhaps this Pentecost story is a reminder to us this morning that God rushes in to the ordinary, that as you sit on the ground and hold a, cry, a, a crying baby as you cradle them in your arms, that, that in that place, that is where God shows up. God doesn't wait for you to feed and heal and cast out in the calm seas, but instead God waits as with you as you calm the sea and the storm raging in your own child. Perhaps God shows up in the ordinary. It's just we're only looking for God in the extraordinary. Picture with me for, this, for, this, for, for just a moment this Pentecost scene that we heard read out this morning. Picture it's 9 o'clock in the morning, so what time church used to start here? I know some of you are grateful. Crammed into a space. We're not crammed in here this morning. Sometimes we can be, though, when everyone is in here together. And there's a few people in the corner over here. They're rolling dice in the corner, having fun with a game. There's a few others that are maybe, maybe making breakfast for the whole group. Then there's a, perhaps a few others that are dozing off because this is the first moment all week that they've just sat and been still without expectations of their day. And perhaps there's another couple that's in the corner fighting with their in-laws about when they can leave Rome and go back because they're tired of being here in the holy city and they just don't know how much longer they can take it around them. And then there's a few teenagers that every so often give you a one-word answer. And then there's a mother sitting over here with a crying baby on the ground trying to discern if it's hungry or bloated or tired or what the heck's going on. And in the midst of all of these things happening, all of a sudden the Spirit just comes and floods this room, this ordinary room, and something extraordinary happens. The conversations and the crying halts for a moment and they encounter the overwhelming peace, love, and joy and empowerment of the Holy Spirit for just a few moments. And there's this flame that's hovering over their heads there's this wind that seems to just engulf the room and all of a sudden their tongues are taken over. But just for a moment, as this ordinary moment, it just totally turned upside down. But then the wind stops and the fire goes away and the tongues are theirs again. And all of a sudden they just have their ordinary lives that they go back to. It kind of reminds me of like maybe like church youth camps you would go to or conventions, right? It's like you're on the, mount, like, like the mountaintop cloud experience with God, perhaps. You feel very close. Maybe you feel like God's spoken to you in some way or you just feel so supernaturally, extraordinarily close to God. Maybe empowered and comforted in ways you could just tackle the world and do amazing things in the name of Jesus. But then you go home, right? And guess what? These folks went home. These folks went home back to the rolling eyes and the one-worded teenagers, to the arguments with, the, with their spouse, to the breakfasts they had to make and the dozing off that happens and the games and just the, all the, extra or, the, extra, the ordinary things. But in this moment, something's changed for them. 
Because from this moment on, they have been given this gift of the Holy Spirit that is with them, that grounds them, that fills them, that guides them, that teaches them, that helps them to know that their ordinary lives, God values. God's at work in. God's doing something. God's journeying with them. And, you know, I, I think that sometimes we hear that message and we're like, yeah, that's so basic and simple and, like, that's nice. God's with me in my ordinary life. But I think sometimes it's the most basic and simple things that we forget that can make us feel so distant and so alone that make us realize that God is not in those extraordinary moments alone, but God is often just in the ordinary if we would open our eyes and be sensitive to the ways in which God is working among us and in us and through us. We've been in a series about the body. And our bodies, sometimes we're at war with them, right? Sometimes they're difficult and they're challenging and they don't do what we want or how we want or they don't look the way we want or they don't express themselves the way they want we want or we do things in our body that we wish we hadn't or things have been done to our bodies that we wish hadn't been done. But I think something that's really beautiful for us to think about is that God, this beautiful story on, hey, how you doing? This, some pens dropped, by the way, for everyone home if you missed the action. And this ordinary moment on Pentecost, something beautiful happens. These people, are, their, their bodies are filled with the Spirit of God. You know, it wasn't until the 5th century at the Council of Ephesus that, that they decided that Jesus was fully God and fully man. It, it took some time for them to figure out, like, what does this mean? How could, is, was God just, like, not even really human, just kind of like a mirage of a body? Like, like, what does it mean that God would place God's self in a body? Like, this was confusing to them. Why was it confusing? Because we, and we still do this in many of religions today, we determine that our bodies are bad, but it's our spirits that are good. We need to resist our bodies, but we need to embrace our spirits. But I think the fact that God chose to put God's self inside of a body is to tell, is to tell us that our bodies are good. Why would God put God's self inside of something that was bad? Yet so often we become adversarial with our bodies, thinking our bad, bodies are bad and our spirits are good. And why would God choose to, to, to put God's self in all of these people on Pentecost Sunday if those bodies were bad? Perhaps God could have just put God's spirit around them and, in, and not in them if their bodies were bad. God does not put God's self in something that's bad. Perhaps we, during this, hopefully in this series and on this Pentecost Sunday, we can step back and see the ways in which God showed to us through putting God's self into a body that our bodies are good, that Jesus' body was good, that somehow that Jesus could be both fully divine, ordinary, and extraordinary, and so can we. Theologian James Nelson says, the opening words of the Gospel of John were undoubtedly shocking to its first readers, right? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. Steeped as they were to the belief that the world was an empire and that the flesh was the root cause of that impurity. Now they are told that God was living and loving in the fleshly human body, life of a carpenter turned rabbi. It was a jarring claim. It was a jarring claim that that God would put God's self in a body because bodies were dirty and bodies were limited and bodies were scarred and bodies could be hurt and bodies could be killed. But yet, but yet God chose to put God's self in Jesus' body and in ours. And yet God chose to fashion God's self after us and after him and herself. As As we think about this series and the ways in which God meets us, what I find interesting about this story at the very end, right? So they, they, they say all of this. 
in another language, and then people are upset, right? They're like, there's no way. There's no way. They're drunk. There's no way that God's doing anything here. There's no way God's up to anything. This is not God. There's no way God would do this. This isn't a God thing. This is just you being weird, you're drunk, and then Peter's like, seriously, it's 9 a.m. Seriously, it's 9 a.m. But I think that's exactly what happens with us. In our, when, when, when God does something in our ordinary lives, in our ordinary bodies, with our ordinary people, there's always people who are going to be like, no, God's not there. God's not doing anything in you. God wouldn't use you. You know how broken, you know how messed up, you know how many choices you've made. You know how X, Y, Z, you fill it in. I think the beauty of this Pentecost story is that often when God is at work, there is always something and someone that's telling us that God is not. In this series, perhaps you too are struggling with the, seeing the ways in which God is working in yourself, that, that God's spirit is in you and using you and loves you and comforts you and you are beloved. Perhaps you have a new sexual ethic through this sermon series or before this sermon series and, and you're having to remind yourselves based on the decisions you made before that you're still lovable because you've told yourself that you're unlovable and untouchable and undesirable because of the messages you've been given by the church about your body. Perhaps you need to remind yourselves today that the Spirit of God chose to put God's self in your body. And that's a promise that sticks and never leaves. You are beloved. Perhaps uh, you're having to combat narratives in your head that tell you that you're not healthy or whole or lovable or special or desirable because you're too skinny or you're too fat or you're too average or you don't have enough muscles. Whatever messages you hear and tell yourselves, perhaps you have to combat narratives in your mind that tell you that your best days are behind you, that if only you had done X, Y, Z when you were younger, that maybe God's fire and wind and spirit can't stir something up new in you because you're just too old, you're just too tired, there's just nothing God could do in you. Maybe you hear messages that the ship has sailed. Maybe you're reminded this morning that God has not finished with you yet. That as long as God's spirit is in you and you have breath on this earth, God is still at work. Maybe in this series, you've had to remind yourselves to combat narratives that your bodies tell you that God only uses those who have better mental health than you. That somehow you do not have enough faith for God to ever use you. Or God doesn't use sad people. Or God made a mistake when God created you with chemical imbalances. Or perhaps you believe that you take too many prescription drugs to ever experience the grace and fullness and comfort of God. And let me tell you this morning. God, knowing all of those things, still put God's spirit in you and says, I want you to experience the extraordinary in your ordinary body. And others of us, perhaps, have had to actively work through trauma that stunts us from trusting people or God or churches or ourselves, and we have to actively combat the narrative that we are too broken or too traumatized to be useful or loved or beloved by God or anybody else. These bodies, they cause us some problems. (laughs) They're hard. Yes, they're made in the imago Dei, the image of God. Yes, they're filled with the Spirit, but man, they can be frustrating. We've sang this song during the series called called These Bodies. And one of the verses in this, in this a song is called, We Are Easily Damaged. Have you seen the scars? They're just scratching the surface. There's more beneath where those are. Some of our scars, they're seen, and some of our scars are unseen. My cousin who's transgender has finally reached the age where uh, they have been able to be approved by their insurance company to be able to do um, top surgery, to transition 
And I'm going to tell you, it's been really amazing to watch my cousin, who at five years old didn't want to put on any dresses, didn't want to play with any girl things, and my aunt would always embrace it. You just do what you want. You be who you are. But then all these people around her would tell her who she was supposed to be, and she didn't want to be a she. she. She wanted to be a male because that was who she felt she was inside, and she didn't know what to do with it. And there were times in middle school and high school when she would act out in ways that were damaging and hurtful and painful to the whole family and to themselves. Time and time again, found themselves at the hospital for self-harm. But I remember the shift that happened when they were able to finally accept themselves and he now identified as a he and told us that for the first time and stopped worrying about what other people thought about what they wore or how they appeared. And now the liberation and the smile that I've seen for the first time, this child never smiled as they know that they're able to finally be themselves as they prepare for this top surgery. It's a reminder to me that, that, that my cousin who's in this body that feels adversarial to themselves, that feels like there's this disconnection, that my spirit tells me that I am male, but there are outward expressions of female on my, in my body that I don't know what to do with. And I feel like I'm at war with myself. And they've got battle wounds on their arms to prove it. And they'll soon have battle wounds on their chest to prove that transition. And I hear the words of this, of this song, These Bodies, and I hear the words of, have you seen the scars? They're just scratching the surface. There's more beneath where those are. And I'm reminded that my cousin has scars that are outward for many of us to see the, the wrestling match, the change, the challenges that, that they have faced in their body. But every one of us in this room, we all have scars. It's just some of them aren't as visible. We all have wrestled with our minds and our hearts and our bodies in so many different ways that it's hard when we hear the words of this song that, that this, bo- this is the body God has given me and it is good whether that's because of our own sexual ethics and struggles we've had with it, whether it's because of our aging bodies and and our abilities, maybe it's because of trauma or mental or physical health or body dysphoria, I don't know what it is, but we are all in this battle, in this war of wrestling with scars outside and inside that God would choose to use this body, this body that sometimes really is frustrating, this body that has been traumatized and hurt, this body that hasn't been able to figure out how to live into a healthy sexual ethic, this body that deals with mental health that sometimes feels all-encompassing and all-consuming, this body that doesn't know how to trust people again, this body that when I look at it, I'm not too sure if I like it and how it looks and how it's changing and what it can do and what it can't do, this body, this body, this ordinary body, this is the body that God chose to put God's spirit in. This is the body that's crafted after the image of God. So as we wrap up this series, let the spirit of Pentecost, church, let it capture our spirits and our bodies once again by seeing a fresh and restorative nature that God chooses to show up in our bodies, these ordinary bodies, in extraordinary ways. 
And may our bodies, that can cause us a lot of grief, from sexuality to gender, from weight to our body image, from mental health to physical health, from triggering trauma to aging, that these bodies made of dust, full of scars and insecurities, that these bodies are made in the Imago Dei and filled with the Spirit of God. Our bodies are not perfect, but they are what the Logos has declared in the beginning. It is good. So let us embrace this morning the goodness that exists in bodies that are made of dust, crafted after God, and filled with the Spirit. Because God shows up in extraordinary ways in our ordinary bodies.